The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Genesis chapter 14. Stand with me as we read God's word. I had a already been scheduled to preach next Sunday night. Pastor asked me if I wanted to preach, and I said yes. Um, and I found out I was going to preach tonight as well. But during the time, I had these two messages that I wanted to preach. I didn't know which one to preach. And they both have to do with Lot. So we're going to take a time tonight and a time next week to look at the life of Lot, two different messages. I thought about just preaching two hours uh, all at once, but I figured you all wouldn't like that that much. Uh, but we're going to look at the life of Lot tonight and next week. It'll be a two-part mini-series, I guess, into the life of Lot. Um, of course, I'm sure Pastor's going to be itching to preach when he gets back, but if you're watching, I know you're watching, preacher, no take-backs, all right? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we're going to uh, discuss the life of Lot tonight. Verse, uh, Genesis chapter 14, verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Keterlaamor, king of Elam, and Tittle, king of nations. But these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with uh, Beersha, king of Gomorrah. Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemaber, king of uh, Zeboim, the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the Vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Keterlaamor. The thirteenth year they rebelled. The fourteenth year came Keterlaamor uh, and the kings that were with him, and smote the uh, Rephims in, in uh, Eshtoroth, Carnaim. Uh, and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Emims in uh, Shebeh, uh, Kirithaim, uh, and the Horites in their Mount Sir, uh, Seir, and El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the uh, country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazon, Hazazon Tamar, and there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of uh, Zeboim, and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim, with Keterlaamor, uh, the king of Elam, with uh, Tittle, king of nations, and uh, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings with five. And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. They took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and uh, his goods, and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskul, and brother Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. He divided himself against them and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the woman, uh, women also, 
And the people and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedorlaomer. Now the kings that were with him in the valley of Shaveh, which is the king's dale, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all, and the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine eyes, or mine hand, unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, and I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamer, and Mamer, let them take their portion. Tonight I'm going to preach a message entitled, Pitching Your Tent in All the Wrong Places. Pitching Your Tent in All the Wrong Places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight. I ask that you'd be with me as I speak. Give me clarity of thought and mind. Help me to say what you once said. Hold back what you do not once said. Fill me with your spirit. I ask you'd be with those that aren't here but would like to. Their desires to be here, but their sickness is holding them back or some other reason. I ask you'd bless them and comfort them at this time. I ask that you'd be with us tonight. May we take from your word what you've given us and apply it to our lives. We leave here changed, more like Christ our Savior. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. One chapter previous in this one, we have Abram and Lot, who have just come out of Egypt, <clears throat> going through to find provisions or something. They were going through Egypt. They just come out of Egypt, and they're left with all this cattle, all this money, all these other goods, these servants, all these provisions, so much so that they were stepping all over each other. They came out of Egypt with all of these different things, and we're not going to go into the reason why they have all these things, because it would be a very long message. It's a whole other chapter. But they got all these goods, all this cattle, all these servants from Pharaoh in Egypt as he delivered them out into their own land, and they came across this land, and they were stepping all over each other. And Abram uh, says to his nephew, just pick which side you want, and I'll go the other way. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. But take your stuff, go that way, whichever way you choose, but let's just separate because we're just, there's too crowded here, we're stepping all over each other. So Abram gives Lot first choice on the side of the land that he would like. Uh, so Lot looks out at the beauty of the plains of Jordan. He looks out and he sees all the potential that it has, and the Bible says that it reminded him of the Lord's garden, uh, referring to the Garden of Eden. And Lot had no idea what, uh, what Eden looked like but he just pictured it in his mind and thought, certainly this is, must be what it looked like. Now he goes and he sees all the, perhaps the palm, the trees that were there, and maybe there was water, a good water supply. But he saw the beauty, and he separated himself from his uncle Abram. And he went over to the plains of Jordan and dwelt there, so Abram went the other way. And we get to chapter 14, and we see that Lot is now taken captive. From chapter 13 to chapter 14, it says that Lot took his uh, tent, he took his provisions, he went towards the plains of Jordan, but there was one problem with the plains of Jordan. We have a city called Sodom. 
It says that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He set up shop towards Sodom. From chapter 13 to chapter 14, we find that we don't know how long it took. We don't know the time that passed. But we see that Lot went from dwelling outside of Sodom to living inside of Sodom. One of the worst, um, most evil, wicked cities in our history, in the Bible, when he decides he's going to set up shop outside of Sodom, from chapter 13 to 14, we find him living in Sodom. And now he's taken captive. We find that Keterleomor has uh, taken him and has pillaged the city, and he has Lot captive. How did he go from getting, being so successful, having all of that, all, everything he could have wanted? Anyone I mean, would have been happy to have the possessions that he had at that time. And now he is being a, 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 a prisoner of war in a war that he never should have been with or been a part of in the first place. Lot let his sight dictate his actions. Lot let his sight, he let the beauty that he saw dictate his actions, dictate the way that he was going to live his life. When you allow the flesh to rule in your life, you put God in the back seat. And when God is in the back seat, who's driving? We often start with what we see, do we not? I mean, I'm not the only one, I'm sure. But a lot of times we make decisions off of what we see. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, while we look not at the things which are seen, talking about Christians, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God says, don't go by what you see. Why? Because what you see is temporary. What you see will not last. Living by sight, none of that is going to last. What will last? That which is eternal. That which is from God. But, but Lot lived his life by sight. And now he's paying the consequences for it. A lot of times we live by sight. We look to the media. We look to social media. We look to podcasts. We hear... Uh, news organizations, if you still want to call them news organizations, they like to feed us their opinion. This is what I think. This is my take. This is my two cents. And they have this discussion panel about things that are going on in the world, and they have a lot of perspective from a worldly and earthly perspective. But where is God in the matter? A lot of times, Korea's Christians can get so caught up in listening to a reporter with a mic, and we lose sight of what's really going on. We take our trust and we put it in men rather than God, and we're living by sight. There's too many Christians that live their life by sight. He looked with his eyes and he saw all the things he could have, and it led to his captivity. Abram looked at the land and said, Lot, you can pick which side you want first. I'll take the other. Now, the thing about this is Abram already was promised by God that he would have this land. God already promised it to him. So rather than living by sight, Abram was living by faith, allowing Lot to have first choice because God's already promised Abram that the land is his anyways. And that God was going to give him this land in order for his descendants to have a place to live, to have their own nation, to have their own country. So Lot, Abraham was already given this promise from God that he would have this land. 
from chapter 13 to chapter 14, Lot went from pitching his tent outside the city limits of Sodom, Sodom to moving directly into the city. Maybe he thought that business would have been good. Maybe he thought there was a lot of opportunity there. Maybe he saw it from a distance and just thought that he could have such a better life if he just moved into the city. Maybe he was just tired of living in a tent. Maybe he wanted to upgrade to a house. But for whatever reason, he moves into Sodom. Now we have king, a king named Kedorlaomer. Now I was reading it, and it, I, it's in English we pronounce the C-H with a ch sound. So well, you want to read it Kedorlaomer, which just made me think of cheese. So I just stuck with the proper pronunciation and called him Kedorlaomer. Great, now you're going to be thinking of cheese the entire service. Kedorlaomer. He was one of the kings of the East. Now, nations back then, they weren't like we would have nations today. They were a lot smaller. They were the sizes of cities, small states. But there was a lot of them surrounding each other, and they would call themselves nations. They would have kings. They would have their own government. They have their own culture, their own way of living. But Kedorlaomer had a lot of pull. He had a lot of authority. He had more authority than a lot of other kings. Perhaps he had a bigger army, a bigger nation. But for whatever reason, he was kind of the boss. It says for 12 years they would pay Kedorlaomer this uh, offering, this tribute to him, just for him allowing them to live, just for allowing them to um, be in existence. He saw that he could take advantage of these people that live there, about five cities. He would take some of the people into what's called servitude, and they would work for about a year, and they would uh, pay their dues in order to be able to live their lives. So... The people of Sodom were used to this. This has been going on for 12 years. Year after year, they would work in order to pay Kedorlaomer. A lot of times, they would give him uh, money, gold, whatever was valuable at that time, milk, produce, animals, cattle. But they would pay him these things in order to be able to live, basically not get uh, conquered. So this went on for 12 years, so King uh, Bera king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, uh, some of the others, they got together for their yearly uh, budget meeting, their yearly council meeting, and they got this conference together, and they were sitting, uh, sitting around talking about this, and uh, king of Sodom says, well, here's an idea. What if we just don't pay? Year 13 comes around, and it says they rebelled. Come to find out, they were like, well, let's just not pay. Like, not pay, and the silence filled the room as they were discussing this. He says, don't pay. Don't pay. Yeah, don't pay. So they don't pay. Thirteenth year, they give Kedorlaomer nothing. And there were zero consequences. Nothing happened. No repercussions at all. So year 14 comes around, and they're like, well, it worked out last year. What if we just... Don't pay again. So they're like, okay, let's just not pay. This time, there were repercussions. When I was reading this and studying this, I came across Kedorlaomer, the bully of our story. It reminded me of that movie, A Bug's Life. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. A Bug's Life. It's one of the best movies that Pixar ever did. But anyways, you have the grasshopper that is pillaging the ants, and he's picking on the ants, and he confronts them about this uh, paying their tribute every season, giving them because they're too lazy to go out and get it themselves. He kind of reminds me of that grasshopper that gets defeated in the end. But anyway, 
The 14th year comes around and he says, now you owe me for this year and you owe me for last year. Because you owe me two years worth of tribute. You owe me two years worth of your, your money, your gold, your cattle, your produce. I'm going to take it all. So this war breaks out. And Kedorlaomer takes his army and he goes through and he starts pillaging these cities. He goes to the east and the north and he goes taking these cities. And he's defeating and pillaging them, taking their money, taking their produce. He goes to the next city and the next city and the next city, and he comes to conquer these cities and takes everything they have because they were so unwilling to pay. Then he goes to the other side and does the same thing. He approaches Sodom and Gomorrah. And they got together and said, we're going to fight. We're going to stand against Keterleomor. So they built these slime pits or these tar pits. And if you know what tar is, if you've ever played with tar, it's pretty sticky stuff. So they made this tar and they put it in pits. And it was surrounding the city. And as the, the soldiers of uh, Keterleomor would fight the, the people at Sodom, and they would approach the city, they'd fall into these tar pits. And they were very deep and they would drown in these tar pits. But eventually they did get through and they did pillage the city. And they took these people to enslave them, no doubt, and Lot was included in, these, in this uh, caravan of people. Pillaged the city, took their people, took the women, the children, took Lot. But one man in Sodom was able to get away. He made his way, his escape back to Abraham and told him what had happened. Maybe someone that knew Lot and heard Lot talk about Abram and where Abram lived. But he made his way to Abram and he told him what had happened. Now, Abram was at the altar. He was giving thanks to God, worshiping God. Here comes this guy saying that Lot has been taken captive. So Abram took his servants, all 318 of his men's, uh, his men's servants, and they headed north. And in the dead of night, they flank Kederleomor and this huge army, and they overtake this army, gaining the victory, freeing all of the women and children, freeing Lot, taking Lot back, and, he got, and gets the victory over this huge army led by King Kederleomor. Abraham didn't have a lot of military experience. They were outnumbered. So how in the world did they get this victory? Was it because that they had surprised him in the middle of the night and they flanked him from the side and they overtook uh, this army with surprise? Was it because that the servants were so well trained in combat that they were able to overcome and overtake Keterleomor and his army? Maybe they were just tired from the battle as they pillaged all these cities. Maybe they were thinned out because of the events at Sodom as they fell in these slime pits. Look at uh, verse number 18 with me. We're going to read through verse number 20. Melchizedek, king of Salem brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. It was not any type of skill that they had. It was because God blessed Abraham and gave him the victory. But Abraham only experienced victory because he was seeking the one that gives the victory. Where was Abraham? He was at the altar. He was spending time with God. He was making sacrifice. He experienced the victory because he was seeking the one that gives victory. He knew that it wasn't through skill and battle, 
or because he had the right men for the job. Abraham knew that it was going to take God on their side in order for them to gain victory. As a result of Abraham seeking God, God came through and God gave the victory. But we're not here tonight to talk about Abram. We're not here to talk about Lot. We're not here to talk about all of the other people that are mentioned in this event taking place in Genesis 14. Tonight we're going to talk about our lives today. Because the God of Abraham and the God that delivered Lot is the same God that we serve today. And too many Christians have and are making the same mistakes that Lot has. Too many Christians today, they're making the same mistakes that Lot has made. They're looking out with their eyes, living by sight, rather than, pla- rather than placing their faith in God. But their demise is the same. Captivity. So ask yourself tonight, do your decisions reflect the life of Lot or Abraham? Does your lifestyle, does it reflect the life of Lot or the life of of Abraham? Are you dwelling at the altar, or have you found yourself getting closer and closer to Sodom, to the world? Now, they both dwelled in tents, but their tents weren't even close to each other. One was near the altar, and the other was not. When you live your life giving into your own selfish desires, you are on the verge of disaster and captivity. Someone once said, all you have to do to ruin your life is get your way. All you have to do to ruin your life is to get your way. Lot said, this place reminds me of Egypt. As they were passing, as he, as he was there, we'd find out later. But it's as if he would pass through Egypt. And back in chapter number 12, when they, are, uh, when they had gone through uh, with Abram and with Sarai, his wife, this is before they had the name changed to Abraham and Sarah, but this is when he went through with uh, Abram and Sarai, he looked around and he saw the pleasures of Egypt, and this place reminded him just like it. He was looking with his eyes at the things that he could have or the status that he would gain. He says that he was at the gate. He was, he was on the council for the city. He was in a place of position and power. In Sodom. He says, I think I'll stay here. It looks good. I can have whatever I want. It looks good. That was Lot's attitude. With our eyes, we see temporal possessions of this world. See, Lot was living by sight. Lot said, I'm going to move to Sodom. I'm going to make me a living. I'm going to make money. I'm going to have all these things. I'm going to have a nice house, which he did get a nice house. I'll get the things I didn't, get, I didn't have in Egypt, and it about cost him his life. He about was enslaved by King Keterleomor. Now, Lot was a believer. Lot believed in Jehovah God. Lot was righteous. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God delivered just Lot. The word just there, it means righteous. He was a righteous man, but he was living an unrighteous life. He was a righteous man, putting himself in an unrighteous environment. 
but he was saying nothing about it. Doing nothing about it. He was a righteous or a saved man living in an unrighteous land and doing nothing to change it. We have righteous and saved people in our society today, in our churches today. Living in an unrighteous land, living unrighteous lives, living in an unrighteous land, saying nothing about it. Influenced by Sodom, by the world. Whether it be by the public school system, universities, work environment, that group of friends that's no good, other people we surround ourselves with. To them, you don't look or act or even resemble a follower of Jesus Christ. If we're going to please God, we are going to have to stop blending in with the world. We're going to have to live our lives in a way that reflects him, not Sodom, not the world. We need people to stand up and say, I will live my life by faith and not by sight. I will practice my faith, not just in church, but in all aspects of life. My home life, my business life, school, around friends, family members. I'll be a witness for Christ no matter what others think of me. And I'll do that by getting back to the altar, where I will sacrifice the pleasures of Sodom and all the things that the world gives, forsaking it, putting it behind me. Don't have to be in Sodom. Could be on the outskirts of Sodom. There's a lot of people that like to play on the fence, play near the fence. You tell a child not to cross the line, what do they do? They cross the line. It's like they go to the line, don't go, don't go play in the street, stay away from the street. So what do they do? They go right up to the street, and they look at you, and they're like, I have this attitude, I'm not playing in the street. I'm not playing in the street. Then they're long enough, what are they going to do? They're going to play in the street. There's a young boy that was told not to go play in the water. <clears throat> he said, down in Florida, sometimes there's uh, crocodiles that like to hang out in the water. Don't go play in the water. Well, they do like, like to go to the water. If there's crocodiles in the water, the smartest thing that you can do is stay away from the water. I'm not going to climb over that, but stay away from the water. Is if, there's, if this is the water and there's crocodiles in the water, I'm probably just going to come over here and hang out up here because this is the safest place I can be and stay away from the crocodiles. But Christians like to go and see how far, how far they can get. It's just their natural tendency. It's a natural man. There's a war raging in Christians today, as it always has been, but who's winning? People win when they live by faith and not by sight. What this world has to offer is not what it seems. The commercials, the advertisements, the ads that come up on our phones makes things look so good. Lot thought it was going to be good. But by serving himself, he became a slave to something else. When you serve yourself, you become a slave to something else. When self tells you to chase after the things of the world, when self tells you you have to act a certain way to fit in, 
or to get noticed or to get that promotion or to be accepted by this group of people. When self tells you to drop out of church because it doesn't seem relevant anymore, it will make you a slave to something else. Pastor Shaw preached it this morning. Mentioned Matthew chapter 6. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's really true in our lives, isn't it? You can't have two masters. Either we belong to God or we are living our lives for ourselves. And when we pitch our tents just outside of Sodom, before you know it, we'll be right in the middle of it. There's a lot of people that live their lives that didn't think it was going to get very far. A lot of people that take that step towards uh, Sodom, I'm not going to go in, I'm not going to go that far. It's true what they say, and I'll say it as many times as I have to. You don't become an alcoholic if you don't take the first drink. You don't become addicted to pornography if you don't click on that first sight. We like to press, we like to see how far we can get. When the saying is true, sin will take you farther than you want to go, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It's going to cost you more than you want to pay. And too many Christians today, we, we live our lives on the edge, rather than putting up safeguards and accountabilities, rather than living our lives by faith, we live by sight. People that stay close to God and are at the altar and people that, are, people that are in their Bible and they're praying, they don't get addicted to drugs. They don't get addicted to alcohol. They don't fall into immorality. People that stay close to God stay close to pure spiritual things. Addictions are plaguing this country, even within our churches. It's tearing people apart. It's eating at their souls. As we think of saved Lot, as we think of righteous Lot, well, he's just living it up. He's having a good time. He's having the time of his life. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, it says, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, that, that saved man, that righteous man, dwelling among them, the people in Sodom, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The word vexed there, it means literally to torture. It killed him on the inside to see all of the wickedness and the immorality that surrounded him. It tortured his soul. It ate him up. It's called conviction. But he said and did nothing. He was in a pro prosperous place. He became very successful. He had status. He was on the city council. Making a pretty good living. He had all of the possessions that he had before, plus what he had gained in Sodom. But there was no conviction expressed through the life of Lot. Of, of Lot. It was kept all inside. It tortured him. It gets out of control real fast. It eats people away on the inside, and they live their lives in misery, looking for the next big thing. If I can just have this promotion, if I can just get this car, if I can just elevate to this, this house, if I can just 
have this, this group of friends, if I could just get with her, if I could just get with him. But it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. It'll be one thing after the other. And it's true in the life of Lot. Living, living his life by sight rather than by faith. And when you live by sight, you pitch your tent at Sodom and not the altar. When you live by sight, you pitch your tent at Sodom and not the altar. Why did Abraham want to be at the altar? Why did Abram want to be at the altar? Abram wanted to be at the altar because that's where God was. Abraham wanted to be at the altar because he wanted to be close to God. He pitched his tent right by the altar. When he woke up in the morning, he wanted to be with God. When he looked out of his tent in the afternoon, he wanted to be with God. When he, before he went to bed, he wanted to be with God. He pitched his tent at the altar. Where did Lot pitch his tent? He pitched it over in Sodom. Right outside the outskirts of Sodom, he pitched his tent because that's where his heart was. Living his life by sight, and where did he end up? He ended up inside the very city that is raising their fists in God's face with their immorality and their sin. Became a part of that city having no influence for God. Lot didn't go to Sodom. There's no record at all of Lot saying, I'm going to go to Sodom and I'm going to be a light for God. I'm going to go to Sodom and I'm going to live my life in a way that reflects God, not myself, and I'm going to win these people for Christ. Who knows what would have happened if that was Lot's attitude? Saying, I'm going to go to Sodom and I'm going to preach Jehovah God to these people and see what happens. He could have been killed, I don't know. But what happened to Jonah? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew that it was evil. He knew that it was wicked. And as he fleed God and he jumped on a boat heading for Tarsus and God shook the boat and the storm broke out on the sea. And he says, throw me over. I know exactly what's going on. I'm, God is chase, chasing me. He's causing the storm to throw me over. And after he persuades them, they throw him over. A whale comes and grabs him, swallows him whole, spits him up on the shore. And Jonah goes to Nineveh, dreading it the whole time, did not want to go, but he says, if I don't go, God's just going to bring something else into my life. So he goes and he preaches to these people. What do they do? An entire city repents and comes to Christ, or comes to God, comes to Jehovah. And what does, Lot, what, what does Jonah do? He goes out, waiting for God to destroy them. Surely God will still destroy these people. And God did something through Jonah, even though Jonah had wanted nothing to do with it. I don't know what would have happened if it was Lot's attitude to be a light, to be an influence for God. There's no record of him having any type of motivation to reach anyone for God. Rather, he lived and dwelt with them, and it vexed his righteous soul, tortured him on the inside. Why did Abraham want to be at the altar? Because that's where God was. What would happen if people pitched their tents at the altar? 
No, the altar isn't just this platform here where we go and we kneel on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and we say a prayer. No, an altar, that's not what the altar is. The altar is a, is a daily decision to be with God. They would make sacrifices at the altar. Sacrifices are to be made daily. We are to die daily, the New Testament tells us. Die to the flesh. Maybe some of us need to take apathy and put it on the altar. Maybe some of us need to take pornography and put it on the altar. Maybe some of us need to take our attitudes and put it on the altar. Maybe some of us need to take this worldly way of living, this living outside the, the outskirts of Sodom. Maybe we need to come back to the altar because that's where God is. We wake up in the morning. It's not just a Sunday, a Sunday thing. It's not just a Wednesday night thing. It's not just when I'm at church around other people thing. It's in the morning when we wake up. Do we want to be where God is? Do we want to spend time with God throughout our day? Do we want to be with God? Do we want to make sacrifices to God? Making our, uh, allowing God to make us more like himself. Tuesday morning when we wake up, before we go to bed, do we want to be at the altar? Do we want to be with God? Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday, Saturday, Making the decision, I want to be at the altar because that's where God is. What would, where would this country be if Christians lived their life, lived in authentic faith, not just when they're at church, not just when it's convenient, not just when they're around fellow believers, but every day living their life, affecting their society for Christ. Living in authentic faith at the altar. But we don't want to be at the altar because we're too busy living by sight. And Monday morning rolls around. This is what God doesn't want. God doesn't want us to come to the altar on Sunday morning. And then after church Sunday night or when we wake up Monday morning, we go back to Sodom. But that's what a lot of Christians are doing. We're going to the altar on Sunday. I did it plenty of times. Literally, literally went to the altar, the altar and then Monday, back to Sodom. We have a lot of part-time Christians, and we've Americanized our Christianity. It's become convenient. It's what's comfortable. What would happen if we decided, I want to be at the altar because that's where God is. I want to make sacrifices for God. I want to put myself on the altar. Because he put him, himself on the altar for me. He sacrificed himself for me. He made the ultimate sacrifice when he gave his life, when he shed his blood. And a lot of times we're so busy enjoying the pleasures of the world, the sins that, the very sins that Christ died for, the very sins that put Christ on the cross to begin with. What would happen if we said, I want to be at the altar because that's where God is? I want to be at the altar because I'll be able to have an impact. Notice, Abraham made an impact. He was able to overcome his adversary. He was able to overcome this huge army. Someone looked, would look at that and say, there's no possible way, there's no way, there's no statistical way, there's no mathematical way that you could possibly overcome this army. You're right, but Abraham was at the altar. He spent time with God, and because he was seeking the one that gives the victory, he came through, and he gave Abraham the victory. A lot of times we go out and we try to do things for Christ and we're not spending time with him. We're not at the altar and that's why we fail. 
we find ourselves trying so hard. We've got to look the part. We've got to do, do certain things. We've got to talk a certain way. We've got to look a certain way. We've got to dress a certain way. We have to act a certain way. But we're not seeking God, so we get tired, we get frustrated, it becomes a chore, it becomes this thing that we do out of routine rather than living our lives in authentic faith. Abraham wanted to have a relationship with God. So he was at the altar. What would happen if we pitched our tents at the altar? Don't even have a tent at Sodom. Burn it down, tear it down, pick it up, take it with you, move it over to the altar, and be where God is. Just like in Abraham's life, we live by faith. If we are at the altar, God will give victory. If you want spiritual victory, you have to spend time with the one that gives spiritual victory. Maybe you're here today and you've never had spiritual victory because you're not a Christian. You haven't been saved. You know what it's like to be forgiven or to be a Christian. That's the first step right there, recognizing that your way of doing things the trying and the effort, it's not going to be enough. When you stand before God and you say, I did everything I was supposed to do. I was a good person. I helped ladies cross the street that needed help. I was nice to everyone. I did my one good deed a day. I made sure I went out of my way and did one good thing a day. God is going to cast you into hell for all of eternity. See, when Christ came to this earth and put it on the altar, put himself on the altar and sacrificed himself for mankind, it paid the way for salvation. It paid the way so that you could have a place in heaven with him without needing to work at all for it. The work was done on the cross. It was done at Calvary. You might get frustrated and you might be trying your best, but when you get to heaven, it's not going to be good enough relying on Christ and what he did is the only thing that's going to help you make it. It's the only thing that's going to do it for you. Anything else is vain. If you're here and you have been saved, you've been trying so hard, but you keep finding yourself back at Sodom, maybe you need to just get rid of that tent altogether. Tear it down. Go back to the altar. They were in opposite directions of each other. When Abraham turned and he walked towards the altar, he was walking away from Sodom. See, a lot of times we, like to have, we want to have it both ways. We want to be able to have this sense of Christianity, but we want to live like the world. That's not living by sight or by faith. That's living by sight. God has called us to live by faith. Maybe there's some people in here that need to get back to the altar. That's the only way we're going to be effective for Christ. That's the only thing we're going to be able to turn our thing that's going to turn our country around is Christ. And He has chosen people to do that. He said, You are the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. So let's go be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. He has given, he has entrusted this task to the church. 
It's up to us. He has given the responsibility to us to reach this world for Christ. His disciples, reaching other people, converting them to disciples. Why? So that they would go out and they would convert other people to being disciples of Jesus Christ. And it was like we've lost sight of that in America. The church is to be a beacon of light in this dark world. But it's not going to happen if Christians are living their lives just like the world. And their lives don't look any different. I've heard people come up, the people have come up to me and they've talked to me about it. I tried to do it, living like the world. I told myself it was an excuse. I could reach more people if I just looked like them, if I just acted like them. I've heard many people say that. And they've come, they've come to me and they said just, it didn't work. The only thing that is going to l- give light to the darkness is light. And that comes from Christ. We were uh, on our way to a church planning conference uh, this year, and me, Pastor, and his son, Jack, and we were uh, on our way home from the conference, and I was driving, and I swerved off the road because Jack was in the back seat, and he says, The moon! The moon! Yes, Jack, every night, the moon. (laughs) If you know Jack, he likes to tell you things. He likes to give you science and history lessons. So he was there. Did you guys know that the moon has no light of its own? It actually gets its light from the sun. Yes, Jack. It's a very good uh, scientific uh, fact, Uh, but yes, I did know that. You have no light. In and of yourself, you have no light. You have no ability to change the world. You are reflecting the light of Jesus Christ. You're reflecting the light that he himself has. So without him illuminating us, how in the world are we going to impact the world? Without Christ working through us, shining through us, how are we going to impact a lost world that is in darkness? You can't, you can't illuminate darkness with darkness. You illuminate darkness with light. So as we go our separate ways, as we go throughout this week, let's get to the altar. Let's live our lives in a way that reflects Christ every single day, not just when it's convenient, but every single day. And let him work through us in order to complete the task he's given us, which is reaching the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity today to preach, to share your word. I ask that you would help us as a church as we move forward, as we live our lives, that it would reflect you and no one else. We would stop trying to be like the world and trying to play all these games. The only thing that's going to actually make a difference and make an impact is you. Help us to rely on you in order to complete the task that you've given us. As we stand together, our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, the piano begins to play. Could be somebody in here that has been trying so hard for so long and you've gotten nowhere. Could be somebody watching today that has been trying so hard and all they've had is failure. Maybe it's time to get back to the altar. Maybe it's time to turn and forsake the world 
and get back to God. Abraham wanted to be at the altar because that's where God was. What if we all desired to be with God? Tell the teenagers, if you want to make it, if you want to be anything for Christ, it takes a relationship. That's what it is. It's a relationship. Communicating with God, spending time in prayer, spending time in the word. The piano continues to play. If you want to do business with God, there at your seat or at the altar here, do it. Don't hold back. If you're here today and you're not saved, they have never accepted Christ. I don't know whether my sins have been forgiven. Come up here. We'll get someone to take you in to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure today that heaven could be your home. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.